Uh, so anyway, so we looked at the first uh, 14 verses, the first six we really kind of dove into last week to take a to, to get a handle on how we're going to be going through this, looking at at um, um, you know what our observations are, number one, and then what are, what are the applications from these observations from what Luke is writing. And so what we looked at is we looked at at this continuation acts as a continuation of Luke's gospel, and we can see that in the first chapter of. Of Acts, that it's really those two, those two letters, those two books, really are are. It's just a continuation. He's continuing to write, and and that's very clear, isn't it? It's very clear. Um, and uh, and what is the most in terms of veracity, its correctness and truthfulness? What is the most important thing that we see from Luke's point of view in terms of how he's how, how he's writing or what he's writing? As a, okay. It's, it's a historical point of view. And what gives him any credibility? He was kind of there. Okay. Well, there were, uh, in some cases, Luke in the most recent, uh, at, towards the end, if you will, Luke was an eyewitness because he was writing it as some things were happening. He wasn't an eyewitness to a lot of, the, uh, a lot of things that took place, but, but who was? The rest of them. And we're going to see a little bit about the rest of them tonight as we dive in here. Um, and, and the other thing that's important about the book of Acts is, is that, that, you know, there's there's 20 some chapters. I forget how many there are. There's 20 some chapters. Um, anyway, there's this book has a lot of chapters. in it, And and what we see is that it's filled with these these transitions. The church goes through a number of transitions. During this during this first century, and it's important to kind of perk your ears up a little bit when you see a transition taking place. We're going to see the first one tonight. It's the big one, but we're going to see a real big transition as the church is is getting started, if you will. Um, and then, of course, the other thing that we saw uh, last week at the end and in about the 14th verse, 13, 14 verses, we saw that it ended with Jesus giving a command. Uh, to, uh, to to his group, if you will. And the interesting thing about that command is it, it, he gave them a command, and we're going to look at this in a minute, to, to go back to Jerusalem and, and wait. And one of the things that's interesting about that is that we have the very first time before the church is even formed where Jesus gives a command and everybody in the group is obedient to that command. And I think that's a significant starting place as Jesus told them to go back and wait. Remember what he told them to wait for before we read it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Because transition number one, obviously, we'll get clued in here, is that, is that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And that's what he told them to go wait for. And, and so that's, the, that's kind of the setup. So they, they're going to go wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and what do you suppose they had in mind when he said to go back to Jerusalem and wait? What must they have been thinking? He would be with us. Well, he might. They might have been thinking that he was going to be with them, but then they got to experience seeing him ascend into the heavenly realms. So right away they realized that, oops, he ain't going to be with us. What else might they have been thinking? When they were told to go back to Jerusalem, he gave us some teaching. He gave them this command. They wanted. They probably figured they were going to get this right away. 
they might have figured that they were going to get the this 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 holy spirit. Now don't 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 view this from your perspective. Okay? Because you're filled with the spirit. They weren't what might they what else might they have been thinking at this time? Jesus said, "I'm leaving." He left. They saw him leave. And they had to go a Sabbath day walk is what the scripture says. So they had to go away to get back to Jerusalem from Anybody know where they were, by the way, when this was happening, when Jesus was speaking to them? They were in Galilee, Zebulun, Nilsson. Were they? All of that? Yeah, yeah. So for you people that have been to Israel, how far is that? Well, the Mount of Olives is at the... I got the plate. Okay. Mark's going to look that up. Because the Mount of Olives is right there by Jerusalem. Yeah, it's a Sabbath day's walk. So how far is that? <laughs> I, have to, I have to look it up. <clears throat> okay, so that's interesting. We're gonna we're gonna take a look at this. And the reason I even bring that up is because when the scripture says that, well, they were about a Sabbath day's walk. Do you ever stop for a second and say, what in the world is a Sabbath day walk? I don't I don't talk about. Oh, it's five eighths of a mile. Yeah, the Mount, Mount of Olives. Only well, because I read it before I came. <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart. No, I. Yeah, it's, it's about a half a mile. About a half a mile. Okay, yeah, you guys were just there. You went to both of these places. You were there where Jesus was telling this this crowd that saw him ascend into the heavenly realms. Like, huh? I think they walked slowly on the town. They walked slowly on the Sabbath, and some people don't even walk on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath day walk was the acceptable distance, wasn't it? Okay. For the Sabbath, because that didn't constitute work. A lot of symbolism that we're going to see starting today and, and starting right out in, in the first chapter of, of Acts. So, in any event, we're going to start right in, because we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Okay? So let's start there. And somebody, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We read the first 14 verses last week, and we're not going to read Acts those. We're going to start right in on 15. And if we have to go back, we will. Because we can do anything you want. Okay. So somebody with a nice booming voice. All right. Verse 15 through verse 26. Okay. All along, everyone. Go ahead. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, we, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For said, for said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time, 
the Lord Jesus was living among us. The beginning, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Interesting thing in the very first verse that that, uh, Veronica read there. It says that in those days Peter stood up. The first thing that we see is that there's Peter. There's Peter in a leadership position. Now, who is he talking to? Believers. He's talking to the group of believers. And what's interesting, if you remember what we read last week, and you can you can look back just a few verses, you can see that, of course, Jesus was with them, and he had been there for about 40 days, and there's a, we're going to look at that, and there was, there was some discussion about baptism, and, and Jesus was giving them these instructions, and, and, uh, and, and, of course, he was taken up right before their eyes, in verse 9 of the first chapter. He says, and, and after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid, hid them, hid him from their sight. And, and then remember, there was a couple of angelic beings there, and those angels said, what are you guys doing? He's coming back the same way he left. I love that. How's Jesus coming back? Huh? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So, so what we see is, is that, is that uh, uh, Jesus and, uh, and uh, what we believe to be a couple of angels said in this, in this passage that, uh, listen, he's coming back the same, way, the same way he left. And we're told that in a lot of places in Scripture, more than just one here in, in the book of Acts. Uh, and then, and then he, he starts talking in verse 12 about um, them returning to Jerusalem because that's what they were told to do, right? So they returned to Jerusalem, and and when they returned to Jerusalem, who all was there? The 120. Yeah, there was the 120. Now, the scriptures tell us that there were some very specific uh, people that were named that were there. But then we see, which is why I want to start in verse 15 tonight. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120. So how many people, before we dive into this and start looking at some of these things from an observationist point of view, how many people were, were there when Jesus ascended and told them to walk five-eighths of a mile a Sabbath day walk to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? Probably about 120. Probably about 120 because that's pretty much what Scripture says. There was about 120, and I think 120 is translated still every time about 120. <laughs> pretty much. And so there was 120 people. So I just want to sear that into your head for just a second because there was about 120 people. So what are the observations from what Veronica read in these, in these verses from 15 to 26? What are the things that we can, that we can clearly pick out that are, that are – what's going on here? Okay, With all that set up, what's going on? Observations. Well, it seems that the fact that they talked about the 120 says – we had to choose a replacement from those who had been with him from the beginning. So 
you know, all we've read about basically are the uh, 12 disciples, but there must have been a lot more that started out with Jesus and stayed with him to the end. Okay, so that's a pretty good observation. They're going to replace. There's, <clears throat> there's an empty slot, isn't there? He says, he says right here, he's talking about this, this empty apostolic slot. How did it get emptied? Why is it vacant? Because of Judas. Okay. All right, so the observation is that there must have been, according to these scriptures, there must have been a, a number of people that had been hanging out the whole time. Okay? That were perhaps qualified. What other observations do we have? Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, period. But what's the context? The what? By the, excuse me. That the person selected to replace Judas had to meet that criteria. So had to have been there when Jesus ascended. Okay. So now what we're taking a look at is we're taking a look at the whole of Scripture, right? So now what we see is, what, by the way, there's another observation for you. What were the qualifications for, for uh, filling the, the vacant uh, apostolic slot? What were the qualifications? We, did, we read them here. They're in this group of scriptures that Veronica read. What are the qualifications? It's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Mm. And he must be become a witness with us of his resurrection. Someone who had to have been there when he was resurrected. As well as when he was baptized. Okay. Follow that line of thinking. Would you care to expand on that at all? Kathy? I'm not sure what to expand on. 
Well, you you said that that perhaps, okay, perhaps if they were going to be filling this apostolic slot with somebody that had been there through all of it, because if we paraphrase this, the qualification was that there were at least two, because we're going to see that in a minute, there were at least two men that, that, that were proposed or that were offered up as potential uh, men that would fit the criteria. And what does it say about them? In terms of the qualification, you could read it again. Kathy read the verse. Verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord, just, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. How, how long a period of time is that? The whole time. Okay, it's the whole time. But you see, because, and, and see, I think this is great, and it's great to have this discussion, because what happens is, is when we read, and we're reading, uh, we, have to, we, have to, we have to provide for the context. So, who was there when Jesus ascended? Because that, that was your, wait, wait a minute. That was my question. That was your question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Just the apostles were there. Well, are we, are we told who was there? Not in detail. Okay. So it's really interesting. And we're going to run across a number of these. I'm glad you started with that one because that's actually a relatively easy one. But Scripture will tell us that clearly there were at least two men that were not apostles that were there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be qualified. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, that's what it says. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offering anything up other than what it says. So if we keep it in context, we know that there was at least two men, and their names are Barabbas and... What's the other guy's name? Oh, yeah, that guy too. Okay. Does that change your thinking? Hmm. Hmm. Or do you need to think about it a little bit more? It's good. Okay, I see that. I mean, it sounds like there's, there's more than the, the apostles. Okay. But then it also says they went back upstairs to the room and it almost sounds like there was other people in that room. Mary and the brothers and everybody else. So yeah. maybe it wasn't the whole one twenty. That had a question in its inflection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Because it's not it's one of those places where you could either way. Okay, what we know is that in those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he, and he was talking to them. And where were they when he was talking to them? In the room. They were, were, were they in the room? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. This president of the Jews, John James, and his brother, Paul, Matthew, James, Simon, Zella, Judas, son of James, they all joined together and constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Yeah. We get to verse 15. Mm-hmm. I'm just, just trying to be accurate. I'm just trying to, I think we need to read the scriptures and it, we need to understand what it says and not read into it what it doesn't say. 
And if it doesn't say, if there is if there is someplace else in Scripture that expands upon that just a little bit. I'm just saying, I mean, when Peter stood up in those days and he was talking to the believers, where were they? That was the question. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, in verse 12 it says, when they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, they Sabbath days walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. Okay, they went upstairs to the room when they returned to Jerusalem. When they returned, and the they present were John and Peter and James and Andrew and Philip and yada, yada, yada. They were all there, right? And they joined together. What they did do there, they were constantly in prayer, and that's all good. And then the women were there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and his half-brothers, his siblings were there, and that's all good. And then break, because there's a period. In those days... I don't know, I'm just asking the question. Were they in the room? Weren't they in the room? Do we know where they were? Exactly. Was the period there when they put this all together? I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I'm just asking the question. Do we know where they were in the context of verse 15? Okay, just be careful. I'm just saying, let's just read it for what it is. See, that's how we start as theologians. We have to read it for what it is. We've got to be careful what we read into it. You know, is there a period? Obviously, does it make that much difference? The answer to that question is no. But it's interesting because if you're really going to get a handle on what the scriptures say, you need to read it for what it says. <laughs> okay? And, and, then, and then interpret it in terms of what it, what it means. And that's why we do this in an expository way. We, we take a look at this because in some cases, it's really going to matter. Like, like, who was there? Well, it was more than the apostles. There were 120, because that's what we're told. So Peter stood up. So what, what are some other observations? That was a good observation you had. Let's go, let's go through some other observations. Any observations about Peter? He's already going to be the leader. He, he took a leadership role, didn't he? Without a doubt. Okay. Does that bring up any questions in your mind? About churchdom? Needs to have a leader. The church needs to have a leader. But he was the rock. Okay, what? Mm, uh, Peter means rock. Okay. He, he was steady in his belief. Okay. Also, it's the last time Mary's mentioned in the Bible. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so Peter was a leader. So that's an observation. What else? What else is going on here? Anybody? What was the question down? What else? What are some other observations that we have about about this? Because we got we got to tear into it because we're going to find some things to argue about in a minute. I thought it was interesting that um, uh, when Peter thinks about the situation that the, uh, the twelve disciples are in now, one of them's out and of his own doing. So he. Um, he must have meditated or thought about the scriptures that had to do with what the situation presented here. And then he thinks back, and I guess we know that then the Holy Spirit gave him light to see what was the next step. He must have realized or thought that we had to fulfill what Jesus started in having 12 disciples, 12 uh, apostles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
sometimes if you think that maybe it corresponds to the Old Testament and the 12 tribes of Israel and how the continuity of how God worked, I don't know. But I'm just saying that the, uh, the, the scripture then comes into play, and, but I, and I think it's kind of interesting that uh, um, Peter uh, just goes ahead and, and quotes that verse um, and then says, okay, now we need to make a choice here. And I guess the way to do that would be throwing dice or something. I don't know how they did that. How did they do that? <laughs> well, we're going to look at that a little bit. Now, it's an interesting observation because what didn't Peter have at this time that he was about to have? Isn't that really interesting? Because the church, although we saw last week that there are some Old Testament uh, scriptures that clearly indicate that God empowered people with, with the person of the Holy Spirit for, for his purposes for spe- at specific times, whether they be prophetically uh, oriented or, or politically oriented, they were kings. Or, or prophets that were that were filled with the Spirit for God's purposes in the Old Testament. So it's not it's certainly not a new concept. <clears throat> and we looked at that last week. That that at one point in the Old Testament, of course, there was this there was this uh, pro- this prophecy that at a, at a certain point, um, guess what? The Messiah would come, he would leave, and the believers would all as we might say today, have the Holy Spirit. I don't like those terms. Because the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, so it is the person of the Holy Spirit that is in you. And But not in not in Peter at this point, so he had to have been thinking about, well, wait a minute, there was 12, now there's 11, we've got to figure this out. So that's a good observation. And what do we know about the, what do we know about the other apostles that were there? What do we know about, about them personally? You can make this observation from just what we know, but what what isn't spoken about in, in Acts. Okay, well, but what about them? What kind of people were they? Probably common everyday folks. Common everyday folks. What do we know about Peter, for example? Olivia says, "Well, hey, he was the leader. He took a leadership position right here. What do we know about him?" Okay, he was a fisherman. What else do we know about him? He was from Galilee. What else? He had a strong temperament. He had a strong temperament. He seemed to be a leader. Okay. Even back uh, when he, they were following Christ, okay. because he was always in the seemed to be in the forefront. Of okay. Things. He was in the fore- he, he had a big mouth. Walking water. <laughs> yeah, he had a big mouth. Didn't he? His trail name was Pops yeah. too much. That's okay. <laughs> That's what you need to be a leader. <laughs> but what else? And what else do we know about him? Well, of the twelve, he was one of the few that was constantly with Jesus. Okay. Well, uh, he was pretty constantly with Jesus. What else? Uh, what else? He was impulsive. What else? Okay, he was married. What else? He had he had just grown out of the betrayal or the denying of Jesus. He was a liar. <laughs> he was a liar and a really good one. He denied Jesus three times and said, "Finally, that guy. What are you talking about, man? Dude, never seen him before in my life. He was a liar." What about what about John and James? They were there. That's what it says. What about them? What do you know about John? He was Christ's most beloved disciple. Oh, he was Christ's most beloved disciple. John and James kind of had this relationship, these two guys. And, and, and remember what their relationship with Jesus was? 
talking about their character just a little bit now. Anyone? Remember they were hanging out with him? They had a really important question to ask Jesus once. Remember that? (laughs) Jesus! Come on, man. It's the two of us, dude. Come on. I mean, you got to pick one of us to be your right-hand man because we're, because, hey, we're the dudes here. Right? Pride? Prideful men? Okay. And what about Philip? By the way, you can see that in Mark 3.17. What about Philip? He says that Philip was there. What do we know about Philip? He's kind of the obscure one, isn't he? We don't talk about Philip very much. What kind of a character was he? He left the church for a while. He left the church for a while. And then he went back. And okay. He made his okay. And, and, uh, and if you take a look at... at remember the... Remember when Jesus was feeding all of these people? A whole bunch of people gathered. And who did he tell to feed the people? Philip. What was Philip's response? Do you remember? We could look it up. It's in John chapter 6. But he says, he pulls out his spreadsheet and he says, he's analyzing the situation. He gets up and he says, let me see, Jesus. Let me see. One, two, three. Dude, there's like 5,000 people out here. Where are we going to get them? Tell them to go. Tell them they can come back if they want to, but if they're hungry, they can go get their own food and come back. He's analyzing. What didn't he do? Yeah. There was no. There was no. He was a. He was a, An analytical. He needed a checklist for everything. Okay, Jesus, I'll trust you. Make. I got to have the list here. Make sure I got to know. How, by the way, how's this going to work? There's a pretty small basket with fishes and bread in there. Okay, can you make sure? I can you just can you just write it out for me? Let me know. Okay, when I see it, I'll be able to say, Ah, okay, I got it. That was that was Philip. And then, of course, one of the most famous ones was, was it says that Thomas was there. We know all about Thomas. We don't even have to look yeah. up the scripture on Thomas, yeah. do we? Yeah, because Thomas was the guy that said, Not in a million years until I can touch and feel and see for myself. Not on your life. So, and then, and then we even see Mary, Jesus' mother, and his siblings. And what do we know about them? They were part of the 120 that were there. The one time thought he was crazy. They thought he was a nut job. Mark 3.21. They thought he was nuts. Okay. I mean, good. I think they were referred to that way. I think, like, I think, but I, they would obviously not be here at this time. If they did not fully well, let's go. Let's look at Mark three twenty one because I appreciate that that comment. Go to Mark three twenty one. Actually, we'll. We should probably start with twenty. Do I have the right scripture? I think so. Yes. Mark seven Mark 3, 20 and 21. Go ahead, Susan. Why don't you read this before? Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay, just stop there. At a time, a point in time, not at this time, not at this time, 
But at another point in time, even his family struggled with who he was. And that's kind of the point. So the point was, did they come around? Well, I believe they had all come around because here they were. They were part of the 120. This is the beginning of the church. The whole point is, who were the people that God was about to empower with the spirit that we're going to read about in a minute? Who were those people? Huh? <laughs> yeah, my wife would say, you know. But I mean, yeah, they're just like us. Doubters, liars. They were they were just regular people. And the Holy Spirit hadn't come. And so our observations can be pretty clear about who was there. We know who was there. You see, these were the people of the early church. I think that's awesome. Because <laughs> I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And so what else is happening? We know that they're waiting here for the Holy Spirit to come, right? They were told to go and wait. But nobody's answered my previous question. What do you think that they were thinking? I know that's somewhat hypothetical, but what do you think that they were thinking? They were obedient. They said, okay, we're going to go. They were there. They were waiting. You were probably wondering for what? For what? How long did we wait? How long? Those are two great questions. And at that point, Peter starts taking charge as an apostle, and he's going to take charge of filling this 12th position, isn't he? On what authority is he going to do that? Who gives him the right to stand up and say, Hey, we got to do something here. You know, the scriptures have to be fulfilled because what we got here is we got Judas. How did he know that Judas, by the way, was going to be the one that was going to deny Jesus and turn on him? He didn't know until it happened? Are you sure? On what authority did he decide that he was going to... I mean, he stood up and took charge. I didn't see him form a committee. So they weren't Presbyterians yet. I'm just kidding. If anybody's listening. Never got down at the... Okay, and what scripture was he following then? Oh, the song. Which song? Do you know which one it is? Oh, you have a study Bible, don't you? Okay, Psalm 109, 8. And, 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 and he was very familiar with that. Wouldn't he have been familiar with the Psalms? And if you want to read 109, 8, you can do that. You don't have to do it right now. But clearly, it, it is written. And that's the point. So this history book that we're taking a look at here has this a, a, a historical account now because they're going to replace Judas and they're going to go through a process, aren't they? And Peter is taking charge. And so what, what did Judas do, by the way? Did we establish, by the way, that Peter had the authority? Okay, we didn't. We're, we haven't established that because nobody's excited. <laughs> so we have to go to Psalm 109. We better go to Psalm 109.8. Okay. And we can do a little bit more study on this, but we'll, we'll just take my word for it about the, about the context. But go to Psalm 109.8. And this would be the most common reference for, for what Peter was doing. And you can read David in terms of his... his 
uh, his writing of this of this psalm, and it's kind of interesting to, to get the appropriate context. But nonetheless, if we take a look at at 109a, it says, "May his days be few, and may another take his place of leadership." And so, and so, is he talking about in the Psalms specifically Judas, or was David talking about another situation altogether? Well, I think he was. I think he was talking out of his own experience with, with his accusers and, and the plotting okay. against him. Okay. That in verse two, the wicked and deceitful men have opened their mouth against him. Mm. He's talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 really interesting. Could it be? What what is your say? Well, mine just says that. Okay, so that's interesting. Anyone comments? It's kind of the same like from reading this that you know there were these followers. There were a lot of followers, and but Jesus did select twelve, and a couple of times you know it does refer to them by name, like in this first chapter. about the 12 tribes and he has the entirety of the Old Testament that Jesus himself would quote. He has the entirety of spending that time with Jesus where Jesus would have taught. He has the entirety of scripture where there were 12 apostles appointed for whatever that special ministry is that's about to start taking place that they're clueless about. They're waiting for the, for the Holy Spirit and they don't even know what that means. They're not sure. I'm thinking that they're cowering there. They're 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 confused. They're they're scared even. They they don't know what's going to happen next, do they? Nor do they know when exactly it's going to happen. They weren't given that instruction. Does that sound familiar to any of you when you're trying to figure out what the will of God is in your life for a specific situation? Don't you want a checklist too? Just tell me how. I'll do it. But I got to know how first. Well, boy, here's a whole bunch of people that we're trusting. And Peter, I believe you're right, Kathy, because I think that Peter took the leadership role here because there was something he knew 
there was something he knew. He knew the Old Testament well. He knew Jesus' teaching well. He knew that there was a problem with Judas and that was painful. That was a painful experience. These are just regular folks like, like all of us. And they went through this, this betrayal with, with Judas and, and that's all over. And now he wants to, he's going to lead this process of, of replacing him. So much so that Luke thinks it's really important to go into some detail here. Why would Luke give us the detail? He says that, man, here it is in verse 18. By the way, there was this, with, with regard, um, uh, he got for his wickedness, Judas, Judas bought a field. He tells us what happened to Judas. By the way, what happened to Judas? What did Judas do? Well, of course, that's what I was thinking in the story of Judas. Of course, when he betrays Jesus, and then he finally sees that Jesus is not the, the one to lead him into the kingdom right then. Uh, because he, I think he wanted to be the treasurer of that uh, kingdom, and he was kind of thinking Jesus was going to do it. Uh-huh. But, but, uh, he, and it just throws him, because his whole life was pointed toward this, you know, grandiose place of being the, uh, the head guy in the, in, the, in the kingdom, in the treasury. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then he takes the money back. Now, with that money, a field was purchased. And it seems to Luke that he, that Judas purchased the field. And, and so I was kind of thinking, it, it almost sounds like Judas did, but I don't think Judas did it because he threw the money back, didn't he? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things that are going on here. If you go through this, this is really an interesting study. This is really an interesting study because we know that Judas betrayed Jesus. We knew that that was the plan all along. Right? Because God's Word tells us that that's what's, what's going to happen. Jesus tried to tell them this is what's going to happen. Okay? Um, but they had a hard time grasping it. But they did. And so he sold Jesus out for what? Money. How much? 30, 30 pieces of silver. Right? And you can go to various places to find out what the value of those 30 pieces of silver were. But, 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 then, but then Judas, after this happens, what, what happens to Judas? Remorse. Oh, remorse in a big way. Guilt. Guilt. I mean, it's kind of like, it's like the ultimate sin, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, are you kidding me what I just did or said or thought or whatever? And so you can just imagine, I can't, it's, you know, you trade Jesus. And, and they took him in to kill him, to crucify him. And so here's Judas. And so, so depending on which account, the Matthew account or the, or the Luke account, um, he either bought a field or he took the money into the temple and threw it on the floor. And the priest said, I don't want that money. That's like blood money. Don't be giving me that money. That's, 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 that's not wrong. Or that's not right. But then what did, G, what did Judas do to himself? What? He hung himself. Where did he hang himself? In a oh, in the field that he either bought or he didn't buy. We're, we really don't know. I'm not sure anyway. I've read it multiple times. Just today. It's it's really interesting because then what what ha- it's pretty grotesque. Who was reading that? It was pretty grotesque. What happened? Huh? Yeah, you read that. Was that in everybody's Bible? It talks about what happened, and he was bloated up, and he he got disemboweled, and 
And and so how do you suppose that happened? Well, they're saying he probably might have been hanging on a tree for a while and his body decomposed and somebody either cut him down or it fell down and that's when he first opened. Yeah, he was probably pretty decomposed. Probably somebody hadn't seen him for a really long time and my, my version says that he fell headlong which is the word in the Greek prenies which means head first or face first. And when that happened, it says headlong, but it's really, it's either head down or, or face down, and he fell, and, his, and, his, and, his, and this is gross, but I mean, he was like, you know, I mean, he kind of went out all over the place. And, uh, and so he was, he was pretty decayed for sure. And uh, what, what would that have meant to a Jew when that happened? Huh? What? What would have been unclean? Oh, the land. Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three talks about that if somebody is going to be hung or hung on a tree, a cross, if if if, if when they die, if they are not buried that day, before the sun sets, before the sun sets, if they are not buried that day, or if they touch the ground, that ground is defiled. You can read it for yourself if you want to. It's Deuteronomy 21-23 if you want to make a note. And so it says that he can't hang on the tree overnight or he can't be hung overnight. And he was there for a long time because he was decayed and, and bloated. And so he fell on the ground. And so historically and culturally, this land now is cursed, isn't it? The land is cursed. And do you, do you remember in Scripture what they did with the land? Does Luke tell us? Huh, it's funny. It's written right there. What happened to the land? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, so what happened is either the priest took the money and gave it to the landowner because now the landowner didn't want it. They didn't want the money. They didn't want the land. They didn't. So what did they do with the land? It was a defiled land. It was a cemetery. Field of blood, they called it. And, and there's the word. It's right there, isn't it? Al-Kadama, that means the field of blood. They turned it into a cemetery. So what, what it says here, it's so funny because you know we're having this discussion. I wondered if anybody was going to go back to, to uh, Acts um, uh, 1, verse 20, where it says, Listen, for Peter said, or for said Peter, depending on your version, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership. He's just quoting the psalm that we looked at. Peter quotes the psalms in terms of his apostolic authority to do what he needed to do and he talked about what happened here. Luke talked about what happened to to our poor friend Judas who was so remorseful that he hung himself and he was bloated and the, and the field was polluted and the money was, was blood money and nobody wanted the money and aye, 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 there's a lot of symbolism going on here, isn't there? It's really interesting stuff. We barely even got started, and there's a lot going on here. I mean, there's really a lot going on. And how much time do you spend going through what's really going on when we're reading Scripture? I mean, if you're like me, I read, I read way more than I study. You know, I like to read, and so I read. And, and so, but if you slow the train down, boy, there's a lot going on. There's just a lot going on. And so we have some other observations here, too. So that's all about what Judas did. And there's, there's, there's Peter saying. So Peter said, hey, man, it's written. It's written in the Psalms. This is what it's about. we got to replace them. So what do they do? They came with, up with criteria. And you already said, what are, the two, what are the two primary criteria for replacing Judas? They're in the beginning and they're in the end. All along. we got to find somebody that was here with us. Right? From the beginning. Right from the very beginning. Why was that important? They would have all the teachings. 
Ah, amen. Okay, and what else? <coughs> pardon me. What was the other criteria? Not only from the beginning to the end, but what was one other important criteria that you see baptism. there in the scriptures? Huh? Baptism. John the Baptist. Okay. Okay, witness of the resurrection. That's the other primary criteria. So there was two primary criteria. They needed to have, in this case, it was a man. And even though there was there were plenty of women in this group, but they were going to replace this uh, this apostolic position with a man, and he had to fit these two criteria. And why was it important that those two criteria be established and met for the for who was going to be selected to replace Judas as the twelve? Credibility. Excuse me. Credibility. Okay, credibility. What else? Understanding. In re- okay, in real practical terms, here we're at the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, and we're replacing Judas. Why is it important that these these criteria be met? It's the first century church. The church hasn't even started yet, guys. Why is this criteria important at this moment in time for this man that they're going to select to meet this criteria? It's the beginning of the church. It's starting the whole thing, and so if they don't, if the people don't have that are promoting the church and talking about Jesus and God, have didn't witness all all the stuff, then how could they? Then how? Finish it. Go ahead. How could they? <laughs> you're then, on. Then how could they? I love my train of thought. It's okay. Well, they had to fulfill the ministry, so it had to be ministerial. Preparation like three years. But that's what that's what Kathy said. Hey, man, they had this. You said they had. It was like this special ministry. Yeah, I'll say it was special. Who were these people? These twelve, and what was God going to call them to do? We're going to see that they were empowered clearly. But what was their calling right here, right now, at the beginning of the church? These twelve men. Disrupt the church. They didn't have one of these. What were these twelve men going to do? Yeah, for the next several decades, these were going to be the primary people that got, remember these misfits we just talked about: liars, prideful people. I mean, these people. You know, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Which is deplorable. Okay. All right. So there it is. But see, this is an awesome reality because you see, that is the special ministry that I believe Kat is talking about because this was the ministry that God was calling them to. I'm not sure that they even really knew it at this point. But he did know that there was this specialness to it and that it was something that was needed to be fulfilled. And Peter was taking apostolic authority at this particular point to fill it, and he had an idea. And how did who did he present this this request to? How did he how did he what did he do to to I mean, what is it that he did? They prayed. What was the difference but the between the way Peter and the other and the other hundred and twenty presumably that were praying over this? What was the difference between the way they were praying and the way maybe you pray today? Huh? No difference in terms of the praying, but what was the, well, there was one difference. And the Holy Spirit. 
It's about to change, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. You have any thoughts about that? We're starting our early church here. These people don't have the Holy, the Holy Spirit. They're praying. They're all together. They've well, established a criteria. Yeah. They were using. If you don't, if you only have an old, a New Testament, you only have half a Bible. Yeah. That's what Chuck Smith all likes to say all the time. I like that because um, uh, you either got it all or you don't have it, right? And, but but they had the they had <coughs> personally what we would call today the Old Testament writings, didn't they? <coughs> they had that. They had a relationship with God the Father, didn't they? And who did they pray to? Okay, and so um, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, but one disconnect. But they had Jesus from <coughs> along. They did. And he chose them. He knew that they, you know, they were chosen. Yeah. And how yeah. they were chosen, and so he, besides even for the when he returned from the resurrection, he's teaching them <coughs> for forty days. So. Three and a half years plus 40 days. And so what happens now is that we see that these men are going to be used for the next few decades as the primary source of all theological truth because they're not going to be able to go. They can't do what you and I are sitting here doing. Today. We believe... Okay, and go ahead. You can expound whatever you want to in terms of what you believe about God's Word, right? But they couldn't do, they couldn't do that. They didn't have it. Interesting. Now what I'm trying to do is draw a distinction here so that you can see at the beginning of the church the challenges that they were faced with and this this particular <coughs> pardon me, this particular dispensation, if you will, is very different than where we sit today in some ways. In some ways. It's very, very different. And I think it's important to understand that. I thought it was very interesting that they prayed, but they still did. They still decided via Old Testament times by casting lots. Let's take a look at that. So, did they really gamble? No. Okay. How did that work? Well, let's let's take a look. What did they What did they do? They 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 found two people that fit the criteria. We, but what specifically do we know? According to the scriptures that we've read. They asked the Lord to show which is the They prayed, and then what? Then and asked God to show them. Okay, and then and then and then what did they come up with? So, who different versions? Who has an NIV? Read the first couple of words in verse twenty-three. So they proposed. They proposed. Thank you. Somebody else have an they they nominated. Nominated. You have a later version of the NIV, don't you? Uh, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. Uh, anybody else have a Michael King James? Is there another word besides proposed or nominated? <coughs> Put forward. Interesting. Okay. So, thank you. So, what happened was that they either proposed, nominated, or put forward. How many? Two. Two men. You suppose there were more? Could have been. It doesn't say. Okay. Yes. 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 One of the men who have been with him, and then it says, "For one of these must become a witness with us." They proposed two men. They nominated two men. They did. They put forth two men. What we know biblically 
because of the veracity of Scripture here, is that there were at least two men that were qualified because they were put forth. Then what? Did they? They prayed. They prayed. Then what? They prayed and voted. Then what? Okay. They cast lots. That's a fascinating thing. Um, What do we know about casting lots? Okay, Olivia doesn't know anything. Anybody not know anything about casting lots? Okay, that's three. That's three. Okay, that's four. Okay, great. Okay, five. What is casting lots? Like how they made decisions in Old Testament times. They had the Uman and the Thurman. Oh, there's Uman, Thurman. There's a lot of history (laughs) associated with this casting of lots. Now, were there casting of lots that were that? uh, Let me see how can I ask this question. Thank you. It won't do any good in a bottle. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Pardon me. Oh, I've been trying to get rid of that for about three weeks. Um, thank you. Um, <clears throat> let me ask it this way. Is there, was there a right and a wrong way to cast lots? Probably. <laughs> What do we know biblically about casting lots then in terms of this, the decisions that were made? And let's just let's just take. Would you like to look someplace? Why don't we look at Proverbs sixteen thirty three? Somebody look up Proverbs sixteen thirty three. There was casting of lots to settle settle disputes. Was it for 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 settling disputes? Making decisions. I'm sorry, Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision from the Lord. What? They're throwing dice from the Lord? Is that what you just said? <laughs> Pretty much. He controls the dice. That's weird, huh? 1632. 1633. 1633. The law is cast into the the last that is every decision is from the Lord. From the Lord. Okay. All right. And then, and then what about go back a little bit further. Go to Leviticus. There's a long history of casting laws that we'll be speaking. So in Leviticus 16:8, if somebody will go there. In Leviticus 16.8? Interesting. Well, if you want to take a look at some more, by the way, I wrote some more down that I found this week. And that is uh, Joshua 14, 1 Samuel 14, Nehemiah 10. We have a whole bunch. There is a long and rich history in the Old Testament times for casting lots for all kinds of purposes. But in this particular case, as we look at Proverbs 16.33, we see a very sound biblical purpose behind it. And what's happening here in terms of what they've done, this group, they've selected two men that meet the criteria that they had established. They had prayed to God to, to uh, present these two men, and, and that's what happened. Were both of them qualified? Yes. Okay. Would, would they, were either one of them selected? Chosen by God. Were either one of these two men chosen by God at this point? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wait. 
They haven't cast the lots yet. Before they cast the lots. No. Okay. <coughs> there, bless you. State your question again, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> the fact. The facts, we're just trying to gather the facts here, okay? Like a good attorney. So what we're doing is we're establishing the fact that they were a criteria that were established. Peter was leading this group to establish uh, selecting uh, whoever would have met this criteria so they could fill this position. And they came up with two men that fit the criteria. Had God chosen either one of these two men before they had cast the lots? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Rupro. He has to follow <laughs> the beginning of time. So God knew before the beginning of time. Did Peter know? No. Ah, so let's talk about the casting of lots then. How did that work? Specifically, what did they do? No. What is the casting of lots that they did? I mean, did they go to the craft table? And the, the, is that what they did? What did they do? I don't know. Done by the prayer. 
application anybody? Yeah, where does the trust fall for that poor guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of embarrassing. It depends how you receive it. What are the three things that he needed to deal with? <laughs> trust. <laughs> belief. Faith. And what? Faith. Oh, okay. Well, what's the third one? That's really, it's really interesting because, you know, sometimes I wonder, I mean, forget about what I wonder. What's the application? What's the application? Two qualified guys. I mean, this is, I think about it in terms of church leadership. I mean, we're constantly praying to, to raise people up for all kinds of things, you know, and so... Uh, constantly seeking the Lord, constantly, 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 and 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 we have something in church leadership here that these that these men and women didn't have. They didn't have the power of the Spirit yet, okay. And, but they went through this process, and they went through the process out of obedience, and they believed, and they trusted. Guess what? It wasn't like they were trying to just try. Like let's just let's just try, and and, and really. In some ways, it wasn't much different than what you do. So when you do something and you try to do it in your strength, how does that work out? Yeah. Not very good. We know that all the time. But we do it all the time, don't we? Um, I, I read this thing uh, just real quickly. It, it was a, it was a, a story uh, that was told about... Um, remember Burt Lancaster? Do you know that Burt Lancaster started his career um, not in acting? He wasn't an actor. Did you know that he was a circus performer? Did you know that? He was on a trapeze. And so this guy was writing, I guess it was an autobiography or something, talked about uh, his very first audition. You ever heard the story? The very, his very first audition uh, for going for getting on the trapeze in the circus. And, and, uh, and so he came in and he's wearing his tights and all. True story. And so he gets up there and they said, then there was the parallel bars like we're used to seeing um, now in the, in the Olympics. And they said, well, just get on the parallel bars and uh, kind of do your thing. So he... You know, and uh, and so the way he tells it is that Bert says, I, well, I got this. This is easy. You know, so he gets up and he starts to do his thing on the parallel bars and bam, he falls down. He falls right on his face uh, and, and hurts himself. And he was embarrassed because he should know how to do this. So he gets back up on the bars without saying anything to anybody. He just gets back up on there and he's going to do it again. So he's going to get up there and he's going to try again. So he gets up there and he tries again. And this time he is at exactly the same place in his, in his maneuver. This time he falls off and he doesn't fall on his face. He falls on his back. And this time he, he cuts himself, so his, his tights are ripped and he's bleeding, and he gets up on the on the on the thing one more time, and they stopped him and they said no 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 hang hang on hang on hang on, and and he looked at him and he, he was thinking that that was it they were going to send him down the road and the guy said if you promise not to do that again you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is that that here he is you know in his in and I mean if you, if you draw the parallel here so there he is in his own strength trying to trying to get these things done you know and and I'm I'm thinking about it in terms of you know so when I try and I I usually fail especially if I'm trying to do something in the spiritual realm when I try, I usually fail because I try to do things in my own, my own strength. 
you got to try doing this sometime and learn how to how to do this. It's really challenging um, if you're if you're attempting to do it in your in your own strength. I got this. I can study. No, you can't. It's a disaster. You talk about spiritual warfare. Um, I understand what he's talking about. So if I try, I fail. But what? But how do you succeed? Well, you don't. And I think that that's where Peter's coming from. Because you see, as they trusted, you see, God's plan succeeded. So it didn't really have a whole heck of a lot to do with Peter and the group. They had to believe. They had to trust. And then God's plan was successful. So I hope we're encouraged by the fact that these are a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> these are people that, these are people like like us. These were people that were followers of Jesus that denied him. These were people that were followers of Jesus that were trying to weasel their way in. And they didn't really care about you and me. They wanted to be at the right hand. They were looking for position. They were looking for power. They were looking for authority. They were looking for prestige. It was a prideful thing. These, these were people that at a certain point during Jesus' ministry, they said, because they didn't understand, they said, he's, he's, not, he's not in his right mind. That's what it looked like to them. Did they believe? Did they trust? Not always. But in this story, we see that they did. They needed to replace Judas. And it was a horrific thing that they had gone through. Because doesn't part of you want to think that what they did was they said, Judas, you know, like off with his head for what he did. That, that anger, that angst that they had. And I'm encouraged that when we see the beginning of the church and Peter was being responsive to, they were obedient they walked the five eighths of a mile. A whole group of people being obedient to really what Christ had commanded them to do. And they didn't have the slightest idea what was going to happen next. But they went anyway. And when they got to where they were going to go, they, what did they know how to do? Pray. They prayed. I don't know what they prayed. But I gotta believe that at that point in time, that was probably the most sincere prayers. They were probably praying like they had never prayed before. I don't know. And they believed, and they trusted. And the first evidence that we have of that is how they went about replacing Judas. I don't see anywhere in here where they say anything other than in the Psalms it is written, "We gotta replace Judas because of the special ministry." that they were called to, that they didn't even understand yet. Application, anybody? For your life or my life today? God calling us to something that we're not even sure what it is? Trust first, think later. Believe. Trust. And then God's plan will succeed. You see, it wasn't Peter's plan. All along, Mark said from the very beginning he knew Matthias was going to be bit. But Peter didn't. See, God already knows the plan for each one of us. He knows in every detail, every moment for the rest of our lives, what we're supposed to be doing in our relationships and interacting with one another, in our, in our church environment, in our, our home life, in our whatever it is. 
belief and trust or be like Burt Lancaster and just try and try and try. The more we try, the, the, the worse it gets. The more we believe and the more we trust, you see, it's God that succeeds. It's not about our success. It's kind of neat to think about moving to our new building and what God wants to use, uh, how he wants to use each of us in the ministry there. And uh, maybe those people really get, 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 <laughs> get his way with all of us, you know. We hope. It, it's like with my hearing aids. I kept saying, you and Richie, Diana kept trying to get it through my head to do it God's way and I said I'm a big girl I can handle it I can do it by myself but I wasn't able to do it by myself so when I finally listened to you <laughs> and did it God's way I got hearing aids <laughs> yeah I think that God's plans are pretty simple um not easy sometimes, but I think that they're pretty simple. And I think that when, we, when we're seeking God's will and, and we, you know, we're really looking for, for because we, we like the plan, don't we? What's going to happen next? I mean, I'm a planner. I'm an analytical personally, so I like to know what's going to happen. I'm a lot like Philip, if you want to know the truth. And I'm also a lot like Peter. I stick my foot in my mouth a lot. But, but... Sometimes I ask, okay, God, what's your what's your real plan for me in this situation? And then God is pretty good, usually revealing that plan. And then oftentimes I said, but that's good. But uh, is there? I mean, do you have a plan B? Because <laughs> that's going to take a lot. That's going to take a lot of trust. You know, and and isn't that the case? Aren't aren't we stuck? Right? Wanting to do it our way. I love the story of the early church and, and, and you know when it started in chapter 2 which is where the real controversy is going to start. Because the real controversy is going to start when the Holy Spirit comes on these people and how it comes on these people and what happens. And then what the, what has the church done with that? So your homework is to read chapter 2 and come back with some really good theological arguments for church doctrine as it relates to the empowering of the Holy Spirit and what happened to these 120 people that believed in obedience for waiting without knowing what was going to happen next. Read chapter 2 and next week let's really get into what happened when the power that's God's, not only his resurrection power that was in them, the person of the Holy Spirit filled these people for such a time as this. Incredible. I would submit to you one of the most incredible things that has ever been a part of God's plan. His redemptive plan is what we're going to read about next week and the power with which he did it and the methodology that he chose to employ is mind-boggling. And the church has been struggling with it for 2,000 years. Who's the church? 
The church has been struggling with it for 2,000 years. And that's what I really want to talk about because I, um, I want to pre- prepare you for some controversy next week, okay? Because if you don't bring it up, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Okie dokie. Scotty, would you close us?